a special edition of the Dartmouth Admissions Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to share the latest installment in our ongoing Women at Darden Office Hour series featuring Senior Associate Dean for Professional Degree Programs, Yael Gruska-Kukane, and Senior Assistant Dean for Admissions, Donna Clark. As noted, this is an ongoing series, and if you're new to the podcast, you just started listening, or you're new to the Women at Darden Office Hour series, really encourage you to go back and check out those earlier conversations. Without further ado, here's a conversation between Senior Associate Dean Yael Gruska-Kukane and Senior Assistant Dean Donna Clark. Well, we're going to go ahead and get started and some other people maybe um, join it, joining us. I am so excited to introduce you all to um, an absolute rock star member of our faculty and senior administration, senior leadership of the Darden School, and a member of the quantitative analysis um, faculty, Yael grushka Cocaine. And let me just say, we've done this a couple of times, we, have, we are we all have. in for a treat. <laughs> I, you are going to be really passionate about taking her classes by the end of this webinar. I, I can assure you of that. Yael's research and teaching focus on data science, forecasting, project management, and behavioral decision-making. Her research is published in numerous academic and professional journals, and she is a regular speaker at international conferences in the areas of decision analysis, project management, and management science. In addition to being an award-winning professor at UVA and Darden, she serves as Senior Associate Dean for Professional Degree Programs. She serves on the Dean staff, and she's won the Darden Outstanding Faculty Member Award in both 2013 and 2022, as well as the Faculty Diversity Award in 2013 and 2018. In addition to the UVA teaching, uh, UVA wide teaching um, award in 20, 2015. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really grateful for her time today. Um, I've really enjoyed working with Yael on the Women at Darden initiative. Um, we're on the Dean staff together. Um, she has just a great colleague to so many of us and a beloved member of the Darden community among our students and alumni. So please join me in welcoming Yael. Thank you. Thank you. You and thank you all for joining us today and for registering to listen and hear our thoughts. And I'm honored to be on this uh, webinar. And I congratulate all of you for uh, considering your MBA, for one, and uh, considering Darden, especially. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We have a nice mix today of some students who have already applied and are admitted and others that are considering either the full-time program or one of the professional degree programs. Yeah. And we were commenting on how a global and interesting and international the audience is today. And um, it's a great segue to talk about your background, Yael, because yeah. Yael has a really interesting um, global background. Can you tell um, everyone a little bit about your background, sure, where you were born, sure. and take it from there? Sure. Um, so my dad was an academic as well. So um, when people ask me why I wanted to be a professor, I blame it on my dad or or thank my dad because uh, he had a lot of passion for, for his work. And um, so he we lived in the U.S. for a while, then we moved to Israel, and we were back and forth. Um, I was born in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> some people know that. Yeah. I'm not a Jersey girl. Yes, yes, there you go. Um, my uncle was sending me links to the World Cup final, which apparently is right down the road from where uh, I was born. Um, and then I grew up, I lived a little bit in, in kind of New York in the Buffalo area, but we were back and forth between Israel, and then eventually we moved. So I grew up in Jerusalem and spent my childhood there. Um, uh, served in the IDF and then did my engineering undergrad in Israel before yeah. leaving. But ever since then, kind of after my undergrad and my engineering, I left uh, to to do my professional you know, activities. I worked in San Francisco and I uh, lived there a couple of years um, and loved, loved living in the Bay Area um, a long time ago around kind of the, the dot-com boom and bust. Right. So I've experienced that. Um, and then from there, I uh, decided that I need to leave in Europe for a little bit. So I moved to London, where I spent seven years uh, mm -hmm. in London. Um, and I got my under, uh, sorry, my master's at London School of Economics and my PhD at the London Business School, um, spending seven amazing years in London. I got married there. I had my son there and uh, expanded our family um, and then eventually settled in Charlottesville after that. Okay, um, great. Yeah. Thanks. Such an interesting background. And I, um, we've talked about this before and I've seen a video that's um, on our website, 
about your early love of math and yes. teaching. Can you yes. talk a little bit about that? It's so interesting that you knew so young. Um, I, I don't really, maybe it's, I, again, I point to my dad, but I don't know if that's fair. Um, yeah, I've always enjoyed kind of explaining ideas and explaining complicated concepts. I was always like a tutor, even from very, very young age, like elementary kind of level. Um, lots of activities with youth and scouts and instruction of various sorts. Um, I was quants oriented uh, from a young age and uh, just enjoyed and gravitated towards problem solving mm -hmm. and the beauty of, of math. Um, and as I matured kind of around my high school beginning of my career, I, I wanted to use math in a much more um, practical manner, mm -hmm. I would say. And right. so... And at the time, industrial engineering was picking up and it was becoming a popular field. And it it became, it, you know, through conversations with folks who maybe have had exposure, I realized that it's an area. Sometimes people like to call it management science, um, operations research eventually. Um, but it became apparent that there is something called applied math or math that is used in the real world, uh, especially specifically in, let's say, business settings. So. Mm -hmm. Why is math useful? Because you can formulate problems, you can find many unknowns, you can optimize processes, you can think about statistics, and all of that relies on some kind of quants capability. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, that was how I took a young, you know, passion from when I was young and turned it into what now is my career. But, right. Yes. And now fast forward, you're on the quantitative analysis yes. faculty yes. at yes. Darden. Yes. And I know you teach a lot of very popular uh, and relevant classes. Can you tell the audience a little bit about what you teach? Sure. So um, Darden is one of the um, only schools. There's a handful that has a quantitative analysis uh, uh, a unit or department. Not all business schools have that. Sometimes it's under um, operations. Um, here we have a quantitative analysis area, which is an area with my colleagues. We all teach uh, various tools and methods that are relevant to different aspects of the business. So um, we teach a course called decision analysis. Again, not one that you always find in many schools, but hugely valuable and and, and very important in my mind. And I think uh, our students agree. Um, decision analysis is a course that talks about how do you make decisions? How do you think about solving complicated multi-objective problems? How do you think about optimizing the decision to your goals? Um, but what is interesting and kind of specific about the course is that it applies in many fields. So it's not just, let's say, it could be used in marketing. It could be used in finance decisions. It could be used in operations and logistics decisions. It could be used uh, just in all the various mm -hmm. aspects of the business. And so we teach the methods and we teach the kind of mm -hmm. framing, but we give many examples from many dis different dis um, disciplines and different domains. So that's kind of one of the courses I teach. <clears throat> I also teach an elective on project management. Um, Again, a course that is multifaceted. Mm -hmm. So project managers today have to be good communicators, good leaders, have, uh, you know, good EQ, uh, but also be able to do quite technical, savvy things. I The course talks about managing multiple stakeholders to running very sophisticated analyses with machine learning and AI, mm -hmm. because really you can see throughout project management, all of the influences, you need to work with people, but you right. also need to be rigorous in your planning and in your execution. And right. so the course tries to provide expo exposure to all of that, uh, including some agile tools that are very common these days mm. uh, uh, in, uh, out there in the wild. Um, so those are two courses. I've also taught data science in the past, which of course is super relevant these days. Um, so yeah, trying to kind of stay, stay at the front of uh, what's in, what's interesting in the business world today. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another uh, question I have is that I know at one point you taught a class um, or maybe a segment of a class on leading um, in uncertainty. Yeah. And then also did a podcast with Mike Lennox on good disruption. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about both of those? Because, I mean, talk about leading the relevance of teaching during uncertainty at this, at this time in our lives, yeah. And things. Can you can you tell the audience a little bit about those? Sure, what you teach. Sure, and it, and it might sound um, initially a little bit disjointed, but they all make sense together. I the portfolio so. of activities. So, um, so one I'll say about leading in uncertainty. It's interesting. Um, you mentioned that I'm uh, with you on the dean staff, and um, I have a leadership responsibility at the school. Um, I stepped into my leadership role around. Uh, May, June of 2020. So mm -hmm. if you think about the degree of uncertainty that we were facing then, it was probably uh, the highest it's right. been for a while. Right. Um, and so I learned personally a lot about leading through uncertainty as well on my own, uh, from my own experience. 
Um, but when we teach decision analysis, a big part of what we teach is about thinking about the future because you're making decisions and what makes decisions hard is typically that the future is uncertain. Sometimes the uncertainty is something you can articulate and you can describe mm -hmm. with statistics or probabilities and uh, kind of uh, um, quantitative ways. Sometimes the uncertainty is more of an ambiguity where it's really un unknown right. and you don't even know what you don't know. Um, but our frameworks for decision analysis kind of hold there and they help us think through leading through those uncertain times. Mm -hmm. um, it relates to some work that um, also exists in the project management area, which is an area that also thinks about uncertainty and how you plan and execute in environments that are more uncertain or more ambiguous. And so how do you think about uh, experimentation? How do you think about working with parallel teams? How do you think about trial and error? When can you actually sit down and plan a whole Gantt chart on your next stages versus having to do more of an iterative kind of quick iteration agile approach. All of that comes together uh, when you're teaching the concepts like leading under uncertainty. So that's right. that aspect. Right. Um, then you asked me about my podcast with Mike. It's been um, lots of fun. We, um, we've we been doing it for over a year. We had our special annual uh, anniversary. And it's um, called Good Disruption. Good Disruption. Right? Yeah, that's yep. what I thought. Okay. You can find it on, um, on Ideas to Action or Darden's website. Um, and we we choose typically what we do is we each episode we choose a different area different area where we see some kind of disruptive technology so it has to be some technology and we debate um, what are the implications why are we seeing that disruption now what is the nature of the disruption who is it going to disrupt and in what way and then try to kind of have an assessment of whether this is a good disruption a bad disruption or no disruption at all we often bring because Mike and I um, we know a lot about a lot of things but we know we don't know in detail um, for each one of these uh, disruptions. So we try to be bring experts. Sometimes we bring experts from UVA, sometimes from Darden, sometimes from outside. Yeah. Oh, nice. And we've talked about um, everything from, of course, AI and generative AI to, um, um, you know, self-driving cars to uh, uh, curated meat to precision medicine to all of these types of cultivated meat to all of these types of uh, uh, innovations. Um, and it's been lots of fun. We're oh, at, it sounds my, my fantastic. Plan to, my plan is to tackle um, 3D fashion um, and new technology around oh. materials and fashion. That's on the horizon. We're, that's one of the next ones that we're going to Okay. Well, I was going to ask this later, but as long as you brought up the fashion, <laughs> um, Yaya has some really interesting elements of her personal background too. Tell, tell everybody just a little bit about your family, some of your interests. I know you're an avid runner, fashion, et cetera. Uh, I like to spend money on shoes. I don't know that I would say she fashion. She has a great <laughs> shoe selection, actually clothing too. So. <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, yes, so in my free time, which I have uh, some of, but not as much, uh, maybe, as I would like sometimes, um, I have two kids. Uh, I can kind of say they're high schoolers. My daughter is starting high school soon. So two teenagers in the yeah, house. Wow. Lots of fun time. Yeah. Um, and um, so that keeps me busy. I do love to run, especially me and my husband like to run together. So there's lots of running in Charlottesville. Yeah, and, nice. Um, and even in D.C., when I go up, um, the Embas have a running club. So we meet in the morning, then we run. Oh, nice. uh, it's lots of fun. It's beautiful, beautiful running tracks around D.C. Um, and so that's definitely something. I love uh, TV and movies. So I'm a big movie buff, you know, Oscars and all that. Coming up. Yeah, coming up. One of my um, alums, I met up with a few alums in Boston last week. And they reminded me that we did a forecasting competition of who's going to win the Oscar. Oh, so, wow. uh, I like to do that once a year. Um, and uh, and yes, I do like to buy shoes. Um, I used to say that I buy shoes when something good happens. So, yeah. you know, a paper gets accepted or a really good semester with my yeah. students or, you know, I get a promotion or something like that. And now I just buy shoes, you know. Just, yeah, yeah. I think I, I, I might have thing. to adopt this practice. <laughs> That's when something yeah. happens, you know. Yeah. We talked a little bit in the intro. Um, you um, hold multiple roles at, at Darden. Can you tell the audience a little bit more? In addition to being a faculty member in QA and all the all the classes you're teaching, tell them a little bit about your role on the dean staff and and your uh, senior associate dean position. Yeah, I hold many many different hats. Um, I should start buying hats, maybe. Yeah, um, I, I do. I'm honored to be um, given responsibilities, um, uh, which which I'm very proud of. So indeed, I am the senior associate dean for the professional degree program. Mm -hmm. So some folks online might be interested in um, are not 
only our residential daytime MBA, which is here in Charlottesville, but we have professional degree formats where students uh, have full-time jobs and they take classes either in the evenings, that's our part-time, or on once a month on the weekend, that's our EMBAs. EMBAs also have some evenings. But um, uh, so I'm in charge of uh, those programs where we have students that work full-time and take our classes in their free time which they don't have much of. Um, and it's an honor, amazing individuals with uh, incredible careers. The executive format is a little bit more senior, you know, closer to 10, right. 12 uh, average years of experience, our part-time closer to the uh, our residential format with about five, two to five years of experience. Um, and primarily those classes are held in Northern Virginia. So um, our faculty either live, some of them live there, but many of them travel from Charlottesville, same same faculty teaching all formats. Um, the students start here for a week and then most of the programming is up there and then they come down here at the end. Um, but it's the same MBA. So right. same core classes, um, many electives, lots of global experiences. As you heard, I'm traveling with our EMBAs. Um, so those are the programs that I'm responsible for. I'm also uh, in, in charge of, we have one degree format that is not an MBA, which is our Master's of Business Analytics with McIntyre. Mm -hmm. um, and that also, we we co-teach that with McIntyre. That's also on my, um, kind of under my my umbrella of responsibilities. Um, I work closely with um, the School of Data Science at UVA. Yeah. So we have a collaboratory um, uh, kind of a team that comes together to talk about joint opportunities between work at the School of Data Science and Darden, mm -hmm. um, primarily data science and business. So everything to do with AI now and business and and find opportunities to collaborate on research, on teaching, on uh, various events. We had a big conference in D.C. a few, a few uh, just a couple months ago. Um, so that's also something that I'm heavily involved in. Um, I'm a member of our trustees on the foundation that's board. Right. Yes. Um, and then finally, I think we're going to talk a little bit about, I've been heavily involved, um, one of many faculty in the Women at Darden Initiatives, trying right. to uh, continuously uh, talk proactively around ensuring uh, uh, a great experience for our women, students, faculty, alumni, and just strengthening that community. Yeah, that, that's amazing that you're able to juggle that much. She has endless, boundless energy. So uh, than others. yeah, <laughs> it's great. With all the roles that you play, um, you have this great perspective being on the trustees, um, serving as senior associate dean, you're in the faculty. What are some... Um, what are some of the, the uh, one of the things I love about Darden is the positive momentum yes, right here. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about any new initiatives or momentum that you're excited about? Um, well, first, I love the fact that we do have, I, I also, I'm going to relate your question and yeah. try and address another question that I see in the Q&A related to diverse backgrounds. Um, Darden's always been a great place for folks with from various backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've uh, since I joined in 2009, so almost 15, 15 years ago, almost, um, since I joined, it's always been the case that our classroom is hugely diverse in terms of backgrounds, in terms of uh, folks come from, we have a, a sizable uh, folks from coming from the military. We have right. folks that come from Teach, uh, you know, te uh, teach for America, and we have folks that uh, come from uh, you know, teacher jobs or journalists, uh, including and or in addition to all of the folks that come from consulting backgrounds and and more maybe more traditional kind of banking roles and and corporate roles. So we have a whole array of of backgrounds, professional backgrounds. Many folks come from international um, uh, places, so we have a, a personal demographic background. Right. Um, and Darden tries to continuously both empower benefit the community benefit from all those backgrounds and continuously think about okay what else can we be doing so for instance uh, the case method in itself and case method might be too broad of a term darn classroom is very participatory very student centered yes so by default i would say that our environment benefits and celebrates those diverse backgrounds because mm -hmm. we look for diversity in our cases we look for diversity in our protagonists we look for diversity in perspectives in the conversation and all of the different backgrounds help for that and that's something that we embrace and we celebrate and we we quite frankly need in right. order for the case method to work and for the discussion right. for to it to be, be so robust so so yeah. robust and so that's something that i think at Darden, we benefit from and we utilize and we encourage in terms of uh, of our audience and our and our um, student participants. In terms of what else do we do and what kind of new initiatives have we seen? We've been always focused on making sure that we have a, a robust and a solid uh, 
you know, prematriculation program. Mm-hmm. So ensuring that folks have many ways to come prepared and right. to get engaged it's with the community. True. We have Darden before Darden. We have a similar offering for the professional degree students in Northern Virginia, where mm-hmm. folks have an opportunity to practice and participate in a case environment, right. learn some basics, learn some technical terms uh, without feeling like it's this, you know, the graded environment that comes later. So they can kind of come in and do some pre-work. Uh, we've offered programming and exposure to courses online. So folks can uh, take these online courses that we provide that our faculty have invested in to come better prepared. So uh, everything to do with our, we have international mm-hmm. orientation to bring folks right. to help them get um, settled in advance so that by the time school starts, everybody's on the same page. Um, we have over the years have uh, had other various uh, programs for, let's say, folks who are interested in entrepreneurship to come and start to connect with the entrepreneurial community. So we've had all um, these various programs thinking about the the run-up to Darden to ensure that folks have many different ways to kind of get accustomed, get ready, and to feel as comfortable as possible when things start. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm seeing a question in here. Yael, can you talk about opportunities yes. that students have to support faculty members, yes. say in research or case writing? Yes, um, definitely. So there's a great um, opportunity, quite unique, I would say, that Darden encourages independent studies. Um, I did a recent study. I collected some data um, over the past four years, maybe. Um over 700 academic credits mm-hmm. um, were given to students that were working with faculty on independent studies. Wow. Just huge volume. Yeah. Impressive. Really hundreds of students uh, uh, and faculty engaged in hours of work where it's much more one-on-one or maybe one-on-two. So one faculty with two students, one faculty with one student or with three, you know, small, 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 small groups of teams working on independent studies. Quite often, those independent studies are cases. So Mm -hmm. the student has a case that they want to write, a company that they're interested in, a problem that they face themselves, Mm -hmm. or the faculty needs something for the classroom, a problem they want to demonstrate. They can come together, make a game plan, say, okay, how are we going to tackle this? Are we going to interview the protagonists? Are we going to collect firsthand data? Are we going to go and do site tours and visit the the company? Um, and then they write the case and they um, they write the case together. They publish the case. The case gets used and students get, you know, their name as an author on the case and they can come to the classroom years later and right. see it being taught. It's a, it's really rewarding. Um, and it's it's always a way for students to get, you know, just a firsthand exposure to the faculty work side by side. It really builds a bond in a unique manner. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, the students that I wrote cases with, uh, you know who you are, um, uh, are often the ones that I end up, you know, staying in touch with for years to come. And I always kind of make sure that I keep them posted on the progress of the course or where I use the case. And so it's it's really rewarding. Um, um, speaking of Yael staying in touch with students, I love uh, sometimes we're in a dean staff meeting and she'll come in and say, oh, I was at the Lady Gaga concert um, last night with three Darden alums. And I think it's just such a beautiful thing that you have formed these meaningful relationships. Relationships that have, you know, continued with with alumni. It's a it's such a nice thing about you. I'll tell you when I um when I started my job here, um, one thing that the faculty were very proud of then, you know, some, some what they were trying to sell to me was that Darden faculty are known to be pretty stable, meaning they join Darden and mm-hmm. they stay here mm-hmm. for a while. Um, and you know. There's many reasons for that. People love Charlottesville. People love the environment. It's a really good place to work. But then when you spend a little bit of time here, you realize pretty quickly that it's because faculty love the students. Like they just appreciate and admire so many of our students. I think Darn students are are, are among the best uh, uh, out there. Um, There's some Something about this community, when you come into a small, a relatively small environment where there's a lot of emphasis on community in classroom and outside of the classroom, there's a high accountability. Everybody shows up prepared. Right. Everybody's committed to the learning process together. Uh, we all help each other out. We're not competing with each other, but we're collegial. We care a lot about and we're very proud of that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the students are both humble and inspiring at the same time. Um, I remember meeting students here, fell in love with my first class. They, I was new. They were new. It was like week 
two of the class and they were new first year students. I was new to Darden and I walk into my office and it was filled with balloons and decorations. They surprised oh, me. They surprised wow. me. It was so sweet. What a bonding experience. I mean, oh, I mean, I everybody's new exactly. and yeah, yeah, that's exactly. so nice. And so I, I'm still in touch with uh, uh, many of those of those from that uh, initial class of 2011. But um, the that aspect, and then I started to go to alumni events and I was blown away. Some of my, you know, I, I have strong bonds and relationships with alums who were never students in my classroom. Like they graduated oh, like a decade wow. earlier. Wow. But as individuals, you're blown away time and time again by yeah. the personality, the commitment, the thoughtfulness, and just um, what they bring to the table. So, yeah. Yeah. And to Yael's point, for those of you who are in the infancy of researching Darden, we are really proud. Darden has been named number one teaching faculty by The Economist for 10 consecutive years. We just did really well um, in terms of our rating in Bloomberg Business Week, and the educational experience was a big component of that. So we're, we're so proud of our faculty members and the the blood, sweat, tears, heart that they put into the classroom. But it's a, it's a joint effort, right? Yeah. So like uh, um, the faculty on their own couldn't accomplish what they accomplished without the students. It's a collaboration yeah. and everybody's committed to it. And I think that's what makes the community special is that we all are here because we value that. Mm -hmm. And we want to make sure that we spend our time in the classroom uh, in, a, in a productive and constructive and positive manner. And so we really like to... Uh, be thoughtful. Every single thing, we don't take it for granted. Right. We think carefully about how we structure the classes. How do we encourage everybody to participate? How do we make sure that we uh, address various individuals' needs? Not everybody's the same, but we want everybody to right. learn from each other. How do we design classroom that feels supportive and rigorous at the same time? How do we really deliver the most bang for our buck together? It's not, it's not something that I, the faculty, could do on my own. Mm -hmm. I need the students to be partners in sure. that. Um, and it's not just me, it's uh, us as a team, you know, entire set of faculty and staff. We have right. a dedicated staff from the admissions to our student affairs, to our operations. So, you know, every step of the way, there's an entire team that right. thinks about every single thing. Right. Um, and so we put a lot of dedication to thinking about the learning experience and, uh, and 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 hopefully it shows. Yeah. 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 Um, and I'm going to toggle between advanced questions, my questions, and your questions. So bear bear with me. We're going to try to get you're going to try to get it all in. Yes, yes. I do have a question for you, and this is going to make you blush again. <laughs> but within this environment that is so well known for stellar teaching, you have won you have won multiple teaching awards. I've also heard you talk um, personally about how this is an environment where you can be your authentic self. Can you talk a little bit about when you're in the classroom? I mean, you you have been well rec recognized. What are your signature strengths that you bring to the classroom, you personally? Not Darden, but Yael. Oh, you are making me blush. Um, no, I'm just curious. <laughs> I mean, th there's a pattern. <laughs> I've, been, I've been very uh, fortunate to be inspired by my students. Um, I think, again, I, I give... I've been taught this from my peers. So like this is something that I gained from the support of my colleagues and faculty who have been here for years, you know, before I joined and and um, have kind of shown me the way. But there is something, again, that humbleness and that ability to walk into the classroom and say, I'm not here to impress. Like I'm not walking into to sound sophisticated or smart or mm -hmm. to, you know, constantly remind people of, of my successes or knowledge. Or, or tell people that I know the way, I'm here to listen. I'm here to listen to my students. I'm here to engage in a conversation. I'm here to encourage them to listen to each other. And even when they make mistakes to kind of, uh, you know, talk out loud about it, I make mistakes sometimes. And so, so that, that, you know, humbleness around business problems are complicated. Mm. Okay. So like understanding that it's not a trivial thing to become a leader in the business world. Right. Today, I don't think it ever was, but today, of course, we can understand the challenges. And so it's not as if the content is easy or trivial. This requires a lot of thought, intuition, EQ, and IQ. This re requires a lot of um, multifaceted thinking. And when you're solving a new problem, there's no blueprint in the, in the drawer that says, oh, by the way, this is the, the solution, right? Like you actually have to think out loud, make, you know, say things that, maybe aren't correct and then know to admit oh that doesn't sound like right right let me go and check that out again like you need that right back and forth and that ability to be interested listen carefully inquisitive um and then take some action and so mm -hmm. i i think that i can do that pretty well um but 
that's that's what I try to do in the class. Well, you do it very well. I'm going to transition. There is a um, participant, Nina, would like to hear what challenges you have faced as a woman in STEM. Um, what challenges have you faced and what resources have you found to be most um, helpful to you in your career success? Yeah, um, great, great question. Um, um, I think I've been in STEM as as we talked about quite a, a fair portion of my life, um, um, including in my high school, I specialized and took, you know, uh, advanced uh, classes in STEM. I think one of the challenges has always been to find um, role models. So it's also my solution, right? Like it's also my tactic, but it's to find people that you can feel comfortable sharing with that give you advice that you then know how to act upon. So sometimes people give advice that is not that helpful. And so you have to find people that think like you, that can express some support in a way that you can act upon. So for instance, a classic, okay, I'm, I'm gonna gonna say something that might be uh, sound a bit odd, but I often get people telling me, uh, oh, Yael, you need to say no more often. Like that's a go-to answer. And maybe this is not necessarily just the STEM part of things, but right. maybe it's just leader and women yeah. in leadership. Yes. Yeah, you have to say no more often. You have to protect your time. I, I don't disagree with that, okay? But that kind of neglects to maybe understand who I am and kind of my personality mm -hmm. and the fact that when I say yes to things, it's not that I feel like I'm doing people a favor or I say yes because other people, you know, right. are, are convincing me. I have a lot of interests. I'm super excited. Yeah. I get excited easily. Right. And I like to do a lot and to yeah. be everywhere. Like that's right. my tendency. And so understanding that by default, I'm probably going to say yes too often. I'm probably going to spread myself thin. So given that that's what I do, how can I make the most out of it? Like mm -hmm. what is it that enables me to be successful given those circumstances? Mm -hmm. So for instance, I need a good infrastructure. I need to know that things are, are taken care of in right. different ways. Yeah. I, I need to ensure that you know my kids are happy and, and taken care of so I don't I am not distracted by certain things. So how can I ensure that that is the case to enable me to do what I want to do right. is the type of questions. And sometimes finding mentors that can help is right. really, really useful. So STEM, um, uh, let me answer one more thing about STEM yes. because um, I, th I I find it, you know, I'm, I've been doing this for a while and maybe I can finally articulate um, some of it, but there is sometimes this notion that you have to use sophisticated terms, talk complicated, um, you know, express ideas in complicated manner to become, to be thought as an expert. I don't do that. Right. Meaning... My superpower, it turns out, again, it took me like over 20 years to maybe figure this out, but I think it's fair to say that my superpower is actually taking complicated ideas and expressing them in a really simplistic and accessible manner. Mm. I ask a lot of questions. Yeah. I'm not afraid to say, I don't understand. Explain right. it to me again. Yeah. Tell me again, how does A follow B? Because yeah. something in the middle... Like, let's dig in deeper and deeper and deeper. So until I understand right. the logic, and yep. it has to be very simplistically expressed, until I can write it out, I don't understand it. Like, I I, I'm, I don't let something kind of be vague and ambiguous, and mm -hmm. I'll just jump over it because I'm afraid to reveal that I don't know it, right? So yeah. that kind of tendency in STEM, I think, is really important because things can get complicated, mm -hmm. but there is a way to build those building blocks to understand them, and then you can break it down to build it up again. And I find that really empowering. I think right. my students do too, and I think it helps me actually write pretty sophisticated papers eventually. Right. <laughs> but I have to kind of break it down yep. to the very basic, uh, 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 you know, Parts. So, for instance, I joke around with my call, my co-authors sometimes. At some, very often, I'll ask when we develop a paper, "Oh, how did we, we get to this result?" Let's say somebody brings to the table a result. They'll say, "How did we get to the result?" One of the answers I don't accept is when somebody says to me, "I did the math." I say, "Okay, don't tell me you did the math. Show me the math. I, right. I can I can understand it. Right. Walk me through the math. Right. Your if, thought process. Correct. Yeah. If I'm not intimidated to ask for somebody to teach me that." And so if they can explain it to me, if they can show me the math and explain it to me, then I buy it. And then I can kind of 
own it and go with it. But I'm not in, uh, intimidated when somebody says, oh, I did the math. I don't just assume that it's okay, even though I don't understand it. I actually want to make sure that I do. So I yeah. think that, that's... Uh, I've heard you talk really in an impassioned way about the case method, the benefit of the case method, the benefit of the Socratic method for students to develop the skill of asking questions. Correct. Correct. And you... Can you elaborate just a little bit about how Darden, as a school that emphasizes the Socratic method, uh, cultivates this ability to probe and ask questions? I, I think our students leave uh, Darden better than faculty. Why? Because by the time they graduate, they've seen 500 case. I mean, they have the 100. Yeah, they have 100 case party. They have the 400 case party. I think they see about 500 cases by the time they finish. They see an array of faculty of all different styles, not just Yale. They see, you know, Dozens of faculty. So by the time they graduate, they've exposed themselves to so many of these discussions where they're routinely hearing folks ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. So then when they leave, they become experts at asking questions. And I want to pick up, I know that there's some questions about women at Darden, but I want to relate this to uh, to specifically why I think our case environment and our student-centered learning is, is so powerful for uh, so many women, not all, but so many women out there. It's because there sometimes there's a tendency to almost apologize when you have a question. Right. Right. You're like right. To say, oh, you know, this might be, you know, people caveat with this is a small question, a dumb question, yeah. a silly question, or I shouldn't be right. asking this it question. It might not be the right time for this question or there whatever. Is no such there, thing. Yeah. there is no such thing. Right. And the Darden classroom kind of empowers everybody, not only women, but everybody to recognize that questions are really important. Mm -hmm. And when you have a question on your mind, very often there's at least 10 students or 10 other people in that conversation who have that question. Right. And if the question is confusing or not relevant or so on, then the question is, how did you get there? Why is it coming up now? There's reasons for everything. And so that strength and that muscle of asking a lot of questions in a way that helps you understand and helps people around you understand, mm -hmm. reveal something to more than just yourself mm -hmm. is a, is a, a very powerful trait of a leader, right? right? And yep. you've been in settings where we've had leaders that have asked questions and revealed information. Yes. And you're saying to yourself, oh, I benefited because you had a good No, question. absolutely. And there's such a big emphasis on class participation at Darden. And my understanding is your ability to ask questions is is, is part of the class participation. You're moving the conversation forward so, by right. asking that question. So it's not, all, it's not only your ability to ask questions, but ask them in a way and connect to the conversation and move the conversation yeah. in a way that helps your peers too. Like yeah. we talk about uh, uh, leadership in the classroom, which is kind of a, a, a weird thing for us to think about. It's not just you asking good questions or you knowing a number that solves part of the case. That's not what we talk about right. when we think about good participation. Right. When we talk about good participation, it's the way that you engage and ask questions that everybody suddenly perks up and says, oh, that was very insightful. That right. helped me. Right. You asked a question that helped me. Yep. And that's kind of what Makes we... Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, related to this topic of cases, there is a, a question about when faculty members come into the classroom. Yep. Do they come in with a predetermined answer and try to guide that conversation toward that conclusion? Or is there a deliberate openness to allowing answers or key learning outcomes to evolve organically? Can you talk oh, a little great bit question. about that? Yeah, it's a That's, really good question. It is a question and it's uh, a part of the beauty and the magic that is uh, the Darden classroom. If you came to my office after class, like let's say I taught a class at 8 a.m. If you walked by my office at like noon after, you know, that day, you would be surprised to see on my board the exact same decision tree that we did in class. And yet in class, the students felt it was so organic. It came from the students. And yeah, I had it on my board all along. Yeah. So there is something to be said for the power of the chalk, right? Like if, and yes, we do use chalkboards, but if I have the chalk, I can steer the conversation sure. in a way yeah. that I know I would like it to go. Right. Now, we are open as faculty, of course, by definition, you never know exactly what students are going to say. So I can't totally create an alternative narrative on the board that doesn't come from the student. So there is something very organic in each conversation. We don't know always where it's going to go, and we are prepared to go in different avenues. So we have like a plan B, a plan C, different scenarios but we always have the next question in our back pocket. We know where we're going to go to next. We know what we're going to ask and we know how to tie it up so that we walk away with a set of learnings. 
I will say uh, uh, to to Ryan's question, we don't always get there. Meaning, because we're willing to improvise, we will get to some other points. And not always complete the entire set right. of questions that we've walked in with. And that's okay. We can come back the next day and tie things up. Some stuff is more critical than others. We have mechanisms for doing that, not prevent. So trying not to uh, force the conversation, let some orga- you know, organic discussion emerge, and yet still ask those guiding questions that take us to where we uh, hope to be. Um, Great. Uh, the questions are coming in faster than I can uh, keep up with them, but there was one that disappeared from Luke, and it was a really great question. And he said, as a man, I'm really interested in the universal challenges that underrepresented minorities and women face, and how does that wisdom come out in the classroom? Could yes. you address that as well? I think it's a great question. So I think um, everybody, it's everybody who joins our community, whether you're a male, whether you're you're uh, whatever race you are, whatever background you have, whatever uh, identity you have, uh, uh, both demographics, uh, socioeconomic, whatever it is, there's a role that you play in the classroom in the sense that you can either be listening carefully to the different perspectives that you gain from people that are different to you, mm-hmm. listen to what you have common with folks that you uh, find kind of a similar train of thought and help facilitate and be that ally in the room in a proactive way. And right. that's something that we all have to practice. Because right. we're all like our, ourselves, yes. but we're also always an ally to somebody. Sure. Some other and evolving in that way. Constantly. Yeah. And understanding the nuances of uh, pain points that different members of the community feel mm-hmm. or um, subtleties in, in how we grasp various tension points around um you know, thinking about a challenge, thinking about a societal problem, thinking about a business solution, like our ability to listen empathetically, to understand that not everything that we thought is the ultimate truth or there are multiple simultaneous truths that can be held. Yeah. Um, and proactively doing that and then learning how to channel and defend and make room and space for those voices. Mm-hmm. is something that I think we all go through. And so mm-hmm. to Luke's point, like, I think that that's true for, uh, you know, again, uh, white male students, internationals, women, uh, various identities, whatever your inclinations is, always be thinking about, yes, your identity, how you voice that, how you bring that to to bear, but also what is it that you're learning from others that you can help engage with and become an ally to. Right. Such a good point. Okay. Really great question from Francisco, Yes, who is asking if you can talk a little bit about some of the informal ways that faculty members interact with students outside I love, of the class. I love that I, there's too many. There's so many. Uh, and some people may not know about First Coffee, for example, but could you talk about those informal, some of the informal ways you connect? Oh, yes. All the time. Well, yeah. Yes. Um, I, I know there are many. <laughs> I do connect informally quite a bit. I'm trying to remember what, what I was doing Monday evening, but I feel like I was doing something with students. Like I'm constantly um, uh, busy and engaging with uh, uh, with our students. Um, uh, everything from, you know, I had dinner at a student's house with a, a small group this week. Uh, they yeah, invited nice. me. Uh, uh, indeed, we have first coffee, which is a moment to come together and check in with everybody once a day. Um, uh, that helps. Sometimes we have conversations around career. Some Sometimes we have conversations around uh, academics and the study. Sometimes we hold you know, movie nights together. Um, uh, we judge talent shows and drag shows. That's uh, right. You, you've been a judge. Uh, everything, for both of everything, those. Yes. everything. Um, so we really have many different ways in which we uh, we come together and we interact and we kind of join forces. Um, again, it's part of why we are here. Faculty want to get to know the student inside and outside the classroom as humans, as individuals, as people. We want to get to know you. Uh, um, and what makes you tick and what you're excited about. Um, and and the students want to get to know us too, because we're people, right? So they want to get to know us and our family. I had all my students in project management came over, you know, in small groups so to make it a little bit more um, manageable. But we had folks coming over to the fire pit all fall, you know, every every couple of nights we had groups um, over. So they got to meet my kids and my nice. husband and my dog. Yeah. Uh, that must be so nice for your family. Yes. Too. I mean, yeah. you know, it can be overwhelming sometimes, yeah, sure. but, um, <laughs> but, but mostly uh, it's great and they love it and they embrace it. Um, this weekend, 
I had a Danish dinner with, um, you know, a dozen um, students at one of my colleagues' house. So my husband and I participated in that. And then we had a bunch of students over for brunch on Sunday. So like a lot of interaction. There's a, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that, that's amazing. Um, one, I was going to ask you this question. And it's funny, it popped up. Like yeah. we're all aligned. Yeah. Uh, question from Abhinav um, says he loves your energy. It's giving him great insights and okay. he's feeling energetic. We've talked about this in the past. I mean, you your energy level is is just um, just a wonderful asset of yours. I think this is going to tie into like a pearl of wisdom that you okay. can impart. Okay. Because I've heard you talk about it. I've asked you about like, where do you get your energy? How do you manage it? You have talked um, so much about how much passion you get from what you do. And can you talk a little bit about that? And then also what Darden does to help people find their own passion Yeah, too? Because I think it is a part of your energy level. Of yeah. Energy. Yeah. Um, I think... Darden is uh, because of our size, so we're fairly small. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say um, uh, there's about you know give or take a hundred faculty, depending how you count um, students here. There's about three hundred and forty, three hundred and fifty residential right. students every year. Yep, and then our EMBA and and part time are um, about a hundred and. 20, 130 embas and about 70 or so part-time. Um, we're a fairly small community. I know right. those numbers sound big, but it's a fairly small community. Right. Everybody knows it's everybody. All it's all relative to other schools. Correct. Right? Yes. Correct. But uh, but it is true that we're fairly lean in terms of our, our staffing, in terms of our um, mindset. So we are very entrepreneurial. So mm -hmm. going back uh, uh, to Abhinav's question around energy, we kind of let folks go with the flow. So mm -hmm. if a student has a passion for a certain project or if they want yes. to run a club or if if a, if a faculty wants to start a new initiative or if a staff member thinks of a new idea, we have a lot of room and space for them to go with it, like to run with it. So there's a lot of room to be entrepreneurial and say, you know what, I think I want to do this. So for right. instance, a long time ago, over... Uh, not quite a decade ago, but just almost, um, I decided based on an, a conversation with an alum that I wanted to fill my first online class. So there wasn't a solution for project management out there. I wanted to form a co you know, I wanted to experiment with online learning. Mm -hmm. but then I want to film a Coursera course. I was an assistant professor at the time. I wasn't even in Darden. Maybe I was like five years here. Right. But like I, really in many other places, people would say, yeah, wait your time. You're too junior, you know, do your work. You, why expand? And no, nobody put any barriers. I came in, the studio folks, the amazing instructor, uh, um, instructional designers helped me. Um, I had the folks here at Darn Media. Um, I, I had so much support from my colleagues and my peers. Uh, eventually the course got, you know, launched on Coursera. It's still out there. I got a lot of, you know, credit for it and 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 awards and and feedback and students participating nobody stopped like i wanted to do that that mm -hmm. was up to me i yeah. could choose and right took the initiative to do it and you and were given the freedom to do so and that really gives you energy when you yeah, feel like sure. space and support and mm -hmm. it's a little bit you know it doesn't we don't have always as many resources as maybe other places and we have to bootstrap some things and we have to kind of make it up uh, in some ways given our our, our experience but um, but we have the freedom to do that. And that, I think, gives a lot of energy. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Um, I was going to ask you about your role in the School of Data Science. And then a question came up about, um, can you elaborate on the opportunities in general for interdisciplinary studies uh, within the full-time MBA program? Yes. Um, do students have the flexibility to customize their curriculum? Yep. In integrate courses from other departments, allow them to dive deeper into other areas of interest. Can you talk about that a little oh, bit? Oh, yes, so much. Uh, and you're an example of that because you're on the School of Data Science, yes, too. Yes, yes, yes. I have a, um, a relatively new appointment. I have a courtesy appointment at the School of Data Science, so I'm and I'm presenting there next week my, my work. So um, it's exciting. So we have many different ways in which folks can do exactly that, meaning um, follow their passions and take a deeper dive. Many of you know the Darn MBA starts with a core. So like we have that breadth. So when you start here, you take courses in all the areas and they're all required and you kind of get an, a broad exposure mm -hmm. to the enterprise, to 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 the business. But then you can go deeper and that depth that you can go through either in your elective. So when you choose your electives, you can choose many different courses. You can uh, take these areas of more specialization, if you will. Mm -hmm. So you can take a concentration in certain areas. For instance, you can take a lot of management science classes. That would be stuff that I do, you could take courses that are maybe more finance or 
sustainability courses, depending on your passion, you can go deep and take many different classes that will give you that concentration. Another thing that we have, some students, um, maybe perhaps not as many, but some definitely take the opportunity to take a dual degree. Mm -hmm. So we have a sizable, actually a growing group that does like a dual degree with the um, School of Education. So they walk away with a, a ed degree and a business degree. Right. We have a few students that take a dual degree with the School of Public Policy, right. with the School of Data Science. So they walk away with a, a technical data science degree and an MBA. So folks over engineering, you know, of course, the law school and the med school. So there are many different ways in which folks can take a dual degree, and they walk away with uh, with two, which, again, gives them that ability to, to go deeper and to specialize. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're not quite there yet, meaning you don't want to take a double, double whammy in terms of degree, you could definitely take classes in other parts of, uh, of UVA. Um, of course, sometimes there's like, you know, calendar schedule challenges that you have to make sure that align, but you are allowed to take classes outside of Darden on main ground. Yeah. And some of our students really, really benefit from that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's great. Yeah. Super. Um, I do want to cover one. There is a, a, a very common question in here. I'm going to switch to admissions for okay. just a moment. Okay. Lots of questions about test flexibility and our test waiver. So I'll just take a minute okay. to explain that since there are so many questions. Okay. So when you apply to Darden, um, we have a fairly progressive approach to standardized tests. Our philosophy is that it's 2024. Um, in this day and age, there are lots of ways you can shoot, you can demonstrate that you are academically prepared for Darden. Yep. You can choose to take a test. And the most common tests that people take are the GMAT and the GRE. But for those of you who may have considered law school or medical school or in one of those joint degree programs now, we we know um, how to calibrate LSAT scores and MCAT scores and we'll accept those as well as the executive assessment. So there's lots of test flexibility, but we also have a test waiver. So if you are someone who has a lot of what we call alternative evidence that you can thrive academically at Darden, you can complete a test waiver and we will evaluate um your candidacy to be granted a waiver. So we worked pretty hard with enterprise analytics to see what else in an application correlates with academic success at Darden before we embarked on this. And we found some interesting things like the interview um, correlates really well with academic success at sense. Darden, yeah. which makes sense because your ability to your interpersonal skills, communication skills, you know, translates into the classroom. Um, your grades correlate more than any test scores. So we continuously study that. Um, things like, is there a correlation with HBS core or CPA or CFA? So we do have a test waiver. Um, there is a committee that looks at the test waiver um, applicants. I would not recommend applying unless you really feel like you have compelling alternative evidence. Um, and 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 that th those forms of alternative evidence are are um, outlined on that application form. So I hope that helps. Um, there's also been a couple questions about the new GMAT focus. So we are accepting the legacy GMAT and the brand new GMAT focus. Yeah. Um, this year we have gotten training from the Graduate and Management Admissions Council about how to interpret those new scores. So we're so we're all set, and uh, you can choose while the the legacy GMAT still exists to take that or the new the new GMAT focus. So I just wanted to address that That's fine. since there yeah. were a ton of questions about that too. Okay, let's see. Um, anything that I didn't, oh, I know what I want to ask you about because you also were such an instrumental member of the Women at Darden yep. initiative. Can you talk a little bit about your role um, on, on that initiative and maybe the school's um, interest in, uh, the, the, well, let me tell everybody a little bit about what Women at Darden was intended to be a committee of people looking at how Darden can be the school of choice for faculty, staff, and students. Yep. And Yael was a leader um, on that an initiative. Um, so I'm going to ask you to comment a little bit on sure, that. Sure, sure. Um, I think, uh, you know, during my time here, uh, we've often reflected on, you know, the, basically our women in our community, their success, how, their comfort, their uh, um, how how accessible they feel Darden is. And it's not only Darden. I think this is a conversation that we see a lot of in, in a lot of different business schools and in the business environment in general. Companies yeah. are also kind of tackling this. Yes. Um, for various reasons. One, it is definitely true, and there is some evidence that women choose uh, different career paths or different graduate degrees 
and not always business. So it's not the go-to degree, forget Darden, but like in general, if you look at the landscape, while a higher percentage of women graduate from college and do very well, they don't always uh, go to graduate school and definitely disproportionately uh, choose other graduate programs uh, compared to to business. And so one, that in and of itself is interesting. And as a society, I think that we're all seeing that conversation shift. Everything from talking to high schoolers around career in business mm-hmm. and what it would mean and why that is as legitimately a career path for both uh, 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 little little boys and little girls or, or whatever your identity is. Right. Business is is a welcoming environment to all uh, types of leaders. And so changing the narrative at, as a society, I think, is, has been there's been a pattern. And then talking to undergraduates, kind of opening their aperture to the different types of, of professional schools they might want to go mm-hmm. to later if they if they do decide. And then working with uh, women in the workplace to say, yes, a business degree could help you in this these kind of ways. And so the initiative is everything from providing opportunity for mentorship um, in the business world uh, to connecting with our alums, celebrating their success, allowing for role models to connect with young, early career uh, professionals, um, also kind of helping uh, women understand what is Charlottesville or, or what are our professional degrees? What what how does that fit within their life and with other um, constraints that they have? How does it fit with their phases of their life and where they want to go? Mm-hmm. Um, and then during their time here, Darden, ensuring that our women have uh, a voice and have an ability to think about their various co- committee community member needs. Um what we hear a lot is that Darden is a community. So like mm-hmm. when folks come here, there is a real strong sense of everybody's out to help each other and to right. ensure that folks feel like they're supported. And I think that messaging that, expressing that, really breaking that down to un- understand what does that mean on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. is helpful for some of our candidates and our applicants. Right. And that's part of what the initiatives tries to do. Um, uh, showcasing successful career paths and alternative career paths, showcasing successful alum, uh, engaging and bringing back our our women uh, alumni. If mm-hmm. you think about it, you know, if you look back 30 years, the proportion of women in our classes and in general in all business schools was much smaller. Right. And so now, take 30 years later, their careers are amazingly successful, but there aren't as many in those generations right. uh, than there are today. So both celebrating some of our more senior um, alums and also our recent alums and their successes, getting them engaged and supporting each other um, seems to to do wonders and really right. help. Um, and as I mentioned, it is a lifelong relationship. So Darden students are not just students while they're here. Right. And we, it's true. It's a it's a long term relationship with our our graduates, even well uh, after they leave us. And part of the initiative is to continue to think of creative and new and exciting ways to connect with that uh, female audience. Yeah. Great. Thank you for your yeah. work on that. Um, okay, back to last question I have for you. Who are your Oscar nominee picks? You oh, were dude. Bit, I know. I, <laughs> what were your favorites? Ooh, your favorites you, yeah. Well, I'm not going to start about um, the fact that, you know, we didn't see Barbie get as many nominations as it should have. Right. I mean, yeah. it definitely should have gotten the director nod and uh, right. the, the actress nod. But um, I loved a movie. There's a movie called Past Lives, which oh, I, I have you seen. I, don't I have haven't. I've heard of it, but it's I beautiful. It's it's very very subtle. It's not a big kind of you know blockbuster, mm-hmm. huge budget kind of sci-fi or, or or visual effects kind of movie. It's a subtle movie about um, a woman that has immigrated from uh, Korea. And um, what's so beautiful for me as someone who's traveled and moved around, I'm bilingual. Um, I grew up, you know, in a, with with a, a different language in the household, or we speak both, but or, or neither in my case. I'm I can't speak either, but um, it really reflected beautifully the attachment that you get and and your identity in different languages, mm-hmm. and I and it did that really very subtly and in a beautiful yeah, manner. Wow. Relationships that you form in your adulthood with one identity and then relationships that you have from your childhood with your other identity. Yeah. You know, I, when I, it's great. It's beautiful. When I go home, I, uh, one of the first things I do is I meet up with my friends that I've known since I'm two and that, it's almost like a physical comfort that you get yeah. like a, like right. your energy is different yep. and you're just yourself yes. and you don't have to, you know, pretend in yeah. any way, shape or form. And that is just an amazing observation. Right. Like if I could bottle up 
how I feel when yeah. I'm near my loved ones and, yes. and use that everywhere. You know, it's it's very interesting. And, oh, and that sounds like a great It's film. a great movie. So that's one thing that if folks want to watch, um, I expect um, Oppenheimer to get a lot of yeah. uh, Oscar nods and, and well, well-deserved, um, beautifully done scientific kind of angle to that to that movie. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen. Yeah. No, my two favorites were Anatomy of a Fall. Oh, yes, that was great. It's um, a little bit more intense. And then American Fiction. Oh, I haven't seen that yet, but I so know that I need to. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. A, that's a really good yeah. one, too. And okay. Barbie, the soundtrack from Barbie. I can go into yeah. my office and listen all day long to the soundtrack. Yeah, Barbie. it is a good soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you all <laughs> so much for participating and for all your great questions. And thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Yael, for my pleasure. My pleasure. Sharing all of your pearls of wisdom and energy. And, uh, and if folks want, I mean, hopefully um, uh, many know, but, you know, it's easy to find our, our contact details, LinkedIn. Please connect on LinkedIn. Send me an email. Send a message. Like, I'm always happy to uh, hear from you all, answer questions, connect you to other folks that you might find valuable, like alums um, or, or current students. Um, yeah. And okay. I see, I hope to see folks at Darden, you know. Yes. Um, and Ooh. for Ki Hong, yes, um, PhD Wendy program. Huber, yeah. I'm gonna connect if you can um email me Clark D. Haley, just put my email. I will connect you to Wendy Huber about the PhD program question that you have. Okay, great. Thank you all so much. This was lots of fun. Really appreciate it. Thank you, everybody. Nice to meet you. Bye, all. everyone. And that was the latest installment in our ongoing women at Darden Office Hour series featuring senior associate dean. Yael Grishka-Kikane, and Senior Assistant Dean, Donna Clark. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, We're All Ears, we can be reached at Darden, that's C-A-R-D-E-N, at virginia.edu. Till next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.